Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. And that's our hope. That final scene in, in this, we've watched, we've watched this little girl grow up before our eyes, writing letters to her, to her grandma and her grandma writing back to her. Um, and I want to take a second before we kind of get into uh, the message to thank some folks. I, I want to recognize everybody who has been a part of our Growth Through the Bible program. I know that there were two kind of two tracks, one that went through every word of Scripture, through all of the Bible, uh, and others. Uh, there was another track that, that kind of covered all the main themes and so many verses, not all of them. Um, but if you did, if you did go through um, and, and, and understand that not everybody got it every day, you know, but if you were a part of this, and, and, and you uh, were a part of the Grow Through the Bible program, would you just stand for a second? I would love for you to stand if you would. Would you mind doing that if you did that? And, and now here's the thing. For, for those who did not do it, and thank you, and you can, you can sit back down. Thank you. Now for those, if you're like me, I would have been, I wouldn't know if I would have stood or not because I did miss some. And I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm like everybody else. You know, I do the best I can. Um, uh, but uh, I probably would have stood about that far, maybe just halfway up. But, but for, every, for all of us, there's always an opportunity, uh, and there will be more opportunities to participate in these church-wide programs where we read together. But a, but a church that reads the scripture together is a church that's going to focus on the power of God in its midst, not the power of people. The power of people will usually always fail at some point. The power of God never does. And that's why we do that. So thank you for being a part of that. If you would like one of those certificates, you can email Pastor Brooke B. Hartman at ConcordUnited.org and get one of those. Uh, and, uh, and thank you all for, if you read, a, if you read once or twice, hallelujah, good for you. That's a great start. This is not a competition. This is just about reminding ourselves that God's word is true today and it makes a difference. Also want to just thank some folks. There are three people who put this together. We didn't Google this, you know, and draw and download a PDF and then send that out. The people actually laid these out so that they would go together with sermons, with the sermon uh, series and, and scriptures that we preached on. There was a lot of coordination. I assure you, I had nothing to do with that because I'm no good at that. But we have people who are Sabina Collins, Laura Young, and Aaron Young did terrific work in coordinating all of this and breaking all these scriptures out into this uh, August through uh, of last year through May of this year program. Also, the people who did those wonderful videos, and I, I got a little emotional at that one because we've, we've followed this story now uh, for months. But Shane Dixon, who is, uh, is currently on our team, Matt Caldwell, who was a part, who's not on our team now, but was part of the earlier ones, we thank him. Daniel Shiflett, our technical director, who makes all of this stuff happen in both rooms and online, just does a tremendous job. Becca Means, Deja Means, her daughter, who was was 
the younger daughter, if you remember back in some of those. And then uh, McKinley Merritt, who was the older daughter. And then uh, Leora Berry, who was the grandma. Uh, I assure you that I think she's singing in the choir in the other room today. She's fine. Uh, but but we, we just appreciate her, appreciate everybody who did so much. I've been asked if, we, if people send us these videos. And no, it's just talented people in this church, some on staff and, and some from just out of the congregation uh, who put these who put these together and, and we're just so proud of them and, and thankful for them now let's turn the corner and we're gonna we're gonna get into just for a few minutes and we don't have that much time left uh, it is possible that we may scoot right up and bump noon today uh, even if we go a minute after it there'll still be food at the buffets it's okay you don't you don't have to worry nobody's gonna starve to death uh, but I'm gonna do the best I can but we don't want to we don't want to take away from any of these wonderful things that we do on Sunday morning but we're gonna talk about the book of Revelation five verses in particular um, and Revelation is is a difficult book because the language is difficult. It's difficult for us to understand. It was written to a certain group of people at a certain time. And so we need to understand what it meant to them. But language is so important because the language we use expresses these ideas in a way that people can understand them. Let me give you an example. There's a wonderful children's book called I Love You This Much. Actually, I think there are a bunch of them. This is the one that has like the mama or papa bear. It really isn't clear, but a parent bear and a bear cub. Let me read, let me just read some of the, some of it for you, just a little, but this is a book that you would read to children. When you arise with sleepy eyes, my smiling face you see, I always say, well, look who's up. You laugh and say, it's me. How I love your morning hug. You nestle in my touch. You wait to hear me whisper low. I love you this much. Throughout the day, we hide and seek. I love to see you smile. I always say, I found you, dear, but I had you all the while. I trust you know that God is so by what I say and do. I tell you he is safe and sure and what he says is true. He holds you in his loving arms. You feel his tender touch. You hear the heavenly father say, I love you this much. And in the context of the book, it's this parent bear teaching this little cub how much they love them by the way they are present with them and a part of their life. And the language is meant to express that to someone who isn't maybe ready quite to take on the, the deep concept of love and particularly the way we understand God's unconditional love as it comes through Christ Jesus. But if the language of the book puts it, puts it in a context that little ones can feel and understand. And it's putting this information about God's love in context that connects with the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation can be very complicated. It can be, and I've done Bible studies. I've led Bible studies on it that were eight and ten weeks at a time, going into great detail on all these images that we find in the book of Revelation. Some of them are, are frightening, and, and some of them are hard for us to understand because they were meant to connect with people 2,000 years ago. But as always the case with biblical interpretation, if we can understand what it meant to the original audience, then we can bring that up a few hundred years years and find out what it means to us. But the book of Revelation for, for all the mystery and, and for all the 
confusion about what it all means, and, and those images are rich and they're incredible. It was written to first century Christians who were being bitterly persecuted by the Roman Empire, which, which of course had previously taken over Jerusalem, the Holy Land, where they lived, and making life very difficult for them. And I won't even go into the graphic nature of some of the persecutions they endured, but it was horrible. And so God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gave John this vision. And he wrote this book of Revelation based on this vision. And in spite of all the difficult imagery and all these terrible circumstances, there's a headline. The simple headline for the book of Revelation is this. Jesus wins. It is, a, it is if nothing else, it is a promise from God that even through the worst of times, he is there, he's got you, and he is ultimately going to win over the evil that seems rampant in the world. The book of Revelation reveals a promise as old as time and as new as this moment. And that's the miracle of Scripture. Even though it goes back centuries and centuries, the truth is new right now for your life and for my life. And that's what we want to burrow into for just a few minutes this morning uh, to see if we can find some of that hope, particularly after a week that has at times seemed so hopeless. We are not hopeless. Let me read to you from the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. The first five verses, this is beginning to be toward the sort of the culmination of the book. But this is part of this vision that God gave to this servant, John. And let me just read it to you and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Then I saw a new heaven and a, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Remember that. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and women. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this down for the these words are trustworthy and true Let's pray. Almighty God, these are your words, not mine, not ours, not the church's. They're yours. You gave to us. And we know that your written word always reveals your living word, who is Jesus, the Christ. And so we pray now that the same spirit that empowered John to write would empower us to hear. That we may find the truth in this moment, this eternal truth for this moment in time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... This promise that God gives these people, it, it has many dimensions, but I'm going I'm to listen, I'm going to list three this morning. Uh, it involves location, it involves creation, and it involves relation. 
In other words, relation to each other. These are three dimensions of this promise that we find in the book of Revelation. And so let's, let's look at it and see if, we can find, see if we can find some hope. Let's talk about location for a minute. And, and the reason I, I, I gave it that name is because of this verse that says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. If to understand what this meant to those people in the first century, many of them were Jewish. The, Jerusalem was where the temple was, and that's where God dwelt for the Jewish people. And even the ones who weren't likely had heard the stories as they came into the faith, uh, where it all came from. That there was this temple in Jerusalem, and that's where the sacrifices were made. And God's presence was considered to be behind that curtain. They call it the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. We've talked about that. And no one could go back there except the chief priest on one day of the year, atonement day for the atonement of sins. And that was the mysterious location of God. But for Jewish people and for these others who came to the faith uh, as Gentiles but had heard the stories, they understood Jerusalem was synonymous with the location of God. That's where he was. And so now into that, the vision reveals that now there is a new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven from God. You could read Jesus into that if you want to, but I think the overarching idea is that now in this new Jerusalem, this vision of what it's going to be like at the end of time, whenever God says game over, is that God will be everywhere. God's not just in the temple in Jerusalem. God is everywhere. And, and here's a reason why that is so important to these people. Many of these people who were being bitterly persecuted were hiding. They were hiding from the Romans. They were hiding family members. They were separated from family members. Many of them were imprisoned. Many had been killed. And so they hid to save their lives. And in their hiding, they felt isolated and apart. And wondered, no doubt, wondered, where is God? Because remember, in the first century, the, Jesus hadn't been gone all that long. And they expected him to come back any second. But he hadn't. And they were losing hope. And so this vision comes to say, now God no longer just dwells. Because the temple's long gone by now. It's been torn down. The second one, they, they, they built it, tore it down, built it again. Romans tore it down again. So... The location of God is with his people. And, and, you know, we understand that. Lynn and I just moved not too long ago, and that's the fourth place we've lived. And, and you know what? Our home, even though it's where we lived, our, the, the, the pure essence of our home was not our apartment in South Knoxville or our, our first little house in Strawberry Plains or our second house uh, in uh, kind of in the Cedar Bluff area. Uh, well, actually behind Sam's, lived there for many years and raised our kids. And now even in our new home. I mean, it's home and we're trying to, we make those places feel like home. But home, home at its essence is wherever we, I'm pointing at her because there she is. It's wherever we are. That's home. Wherever we are together, that's home. And that's kind of the way it is with God. Whenever we recognize that God is in our midst, God is present with us, that's, that's our home. That's where he is. It's here. The dwelling place of God is here. 
And that's brand new for these people and very encouraging. There is no location, situation, or desperation where we will not find God. Promise. Not my promise. God's promise. Location. Now, let's think about another way this promise is delivered to us, and that is through creation. We just talked about the waters of creation and, and the beautiful aspect of, of thinking of the water as cleansing and as a place of deliverance. But this is really important. And, I, and I, when I read the scripture, I, asked, I mentioned, be sure to remember sea, S-E-A, remember that. And here's why. When we think of the sea, we think of going on a cruise. And maybe we've been on a cruise before, you know. And that's one of those places that exist uh, only in heaven and on that boat where you can get ice cream 24 hours a day or pizza. And they'll make you a custom-made omelet, as many as you want until you just can't eat anymore. Or, or any other number of things that they do to make you feel like royalty on a cruise ship. And so the sea, or, or you go to Florida and maybe you just go by the sea or to Myrtle Beach or to wherever you go. But the sea represents a place of relaxation, a place of recreation, a place of wonder. It's magical. We all love. I love the ocean. That is not the perspective of these first century Christians. You have to remember that for, for them, the earth was still flat. 2,000 years ago, the earth was still flat and you could sail right off the edge of it into the abyss. And if you didn't, if that didn't happen to you, surely one of these sea monsters would come up that they were just sure lived there, would come up and swallow your ship whole. And on top of that, it was, the, it was just this place where, where evil was birthed. The beast, which we read about in other parts of the book of the Revelation, uh, the beast that we often associate with Rome, um, the beast came from the sea. And so the sea represented evil to these people. And so whenever John says in his vision that the sea will be no more, they're thinking, whoa, boy, that would be great. No more, no more birthplace of evil. No more place where we can get swallowed by a monster or sail off the abyss. And for John, I think he was probably thinking about the fact that as he sat in exile on this little island called Patmos off the coast of Greece, he was separated. He was separated by the sea from all the people he loved, from his church, from everything he knew. And so the sea represented evil and, and the deconstruction of relationship. It kept people apart. It took people away. And now, and now God is making all things new and there will be no sea anymore. There won't be any more barriers to him. No more barriers from each other. No more barriers to relationships. And so if we find ourselves in a situation where a relationship seems to be deconstructing, we can remember that God is making all things new. And, and there will be no more sea. There will be no more barriers, if you will. Hear that to relationships. And relationships can be reconstructed. And relationships can be made whole. Because that's the way God is recreating the very creation that he was responsible for in the beginning. So there's location and there's creation. And then there's one more. Um, let, me, let me remind you of this. God created us for relationship and can recreate relationships if we believe the promise. If we're willing to believe the promise that God has the power to recreate these relationships and remove the barriers 
we can know it to be true. So there's location, there's creation, and finally, relation. And what I mean by that, I'm just trying to get it to rhyme. Uh, God is related to us. God is not, as, as Bette Midler sang back in the 80s, uh, observing us from a distance. I hated that song uh, once I started understanding a little bit about theology. God is not out there from a distance you know, watching us, which the song says over and over again, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. No, he's not. All apologies to Bette Midler. That's not the case. God is here. Uh, God is with us. Um, it says that he has made the dwelling of God is now with men and women. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. That dwelling, the word for dwelling, it's the same word used in John 14 that says... The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And think about that for these people who were certainly no strangers to tears and sorrow and pain. And, and, and the, the vision reminds them this time is coming and it's in the plan that that will no longer be the case. That's the promise. But then if you're like me, as I was reading this and thinking about how we talk about that, I kept thinking about Texas. I kept thinking about Rob Elementary School. I kept thinking about 19 children and two teachers and all the crying and all the tears and all the mourning, all the pain that's happening there. How do, we, how do we deal with that? How do we reconcile that? Why did that even happen in the first place? Why does God let that happen? Now, that's another sermon for down the road one day. But I will say this, and I've, I've, I've said this before. I'm going to say it a little differently. Because God loves us so much, because he wants love to be pure and, and essential as it was in the beginning, God gives us freedom. Because the only way love works is if there's freedom. Love can't be coerced. Love can't be an equation where you have this on this side, this on that side. It's, it has to be, and this is required and that's required. Well, no, it has to be completely free. Before someone, what was the old movie from back in the 70s? If you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they're yours. If they don't, they never were. I saw that on a black light poster once a long time ago. Shows how old I am. But it's true. It's absolutely true. And because God created us with freedom, we're free. We're free to love him back. We're free to, to remain and dwell in his presence. Or we're free to turn our back on him and go another way. We're free to then impose our freedom on other people. And that happens all the time. It's a terrible side effect of the freedom that we have. But there's no other way to have pure love other than to have freedom. God can't go in and coerce this person and that person. He gives us the integrity of our autonomy to love or not love, to love him or not love him, to hate, to bless. It's our choice. And sometimes, sometimes people's freedom uh, becomes... Um, an out-of-control leader of a large country 
that decides to invade another one because they want the property. Or it's someone who goes into a school and does the unthinkable. And there's no way to understand it. But I know this. In Isaiah 43. Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. That's pre-Jesus. That was his promise to the people of Israel when they were going through a horrible time. When you pass through the waters, this, this not water of baptism, but this, this water that represented evil. When you pass through the waters, in other words, bad times will come. Bad times will come. And when you do, I won't be there on the other side to meet you. I'll go through it with you and I will walk you through the other side. And it's certainly no consolation for the chairs that will be empty around tables. But God carried each one of those children into some place where there's no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow. And I believe he will carry the parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends in the same way. That's his promise. And somehow, knowing that he is there with us gives us strength to hold on for just one more breath when you can't take a breath. This is what I believe. God's promise is his presence through all the pain and into all eternity. It's a silly story. And I I thought of it as I was going through this the other day quickly and then... We'll, we'll be done. When I was in the second grade, I had to have my tonsils out. And I was scared out of my mind. Going to the hospital. It's going to be, oh, you know, surgery. Put you to sleep. They're going to, you know, I'd, my brother, it scared me to death about how much it hurts. He had had his out. So I was scared. My mom said, it'll be okay. When you wake up, you can have all the ice cream you want. Promise. She prom- Mom never broke her promises. All the, second grade, all the ice cream I want. Maybe I, can handle, maybe I can handle a tonsillectomy. I, re, I remember it so vividly. And I remember waking up and my throat had never felt like that before. I've never had a sore throat like that before. And they rolled me into my room and there was my mom. Remember Dixie cups? Little Dixie cup of vanilla ice cream. And she sat next to the bed and she gave me little spoonfuls of this cool, sweet ice cream. And as bad as my throat hurt, every time... That cold ice cream slid down my throat. My mom would smile. And she would say, I'm right here. She promised. And she was there in the promise. Now, it hurt for days and days and days. But I could handle it. Because she'd been true to her word. And I know she, she would have always, and she was always true to her word. And in some sense, but on a scale that is not comparable, God God does that whenever we are going through these tragedies. God says, I know, I know, but I'm there. I'm there. I'm with you. And I'm going to go through it with you. And I promise you, I promise you that somehow it's going to be okay. Maybe a while, but it's going to be okay. You're not alone. That's my prayer for the people, all those parents and loved ones that are so heartbroken. 
That's my prayer for you this morning, whatever waters you're going through. That you remember, God is remaking all that. One of these days, there won't be any more trouble. And we may be on the other side of the Jordan when that happens. That'll be okay too. But in the meantime, he'll pass through the waters with us because he dwells with his people and he will wipe away every tear. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we first, we just want to pray. We want to pray for these parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and all these relatives and friends who are, even as we pray this prayer this morning, gasping for air, trying to make it through the next minute without falling apart. Oh God, may they know your presence in some profound way we can't even imagine. Oh God, speak to them by the power of your spirit. Comfort their hearts. God, for a community that's going to be looking over its shoulder now for years and years, bless that community with peace, renewal. And oh God, help us as a people to figure out what we can do, what we can do within our sphere of influence that might help eliminate these occurrences. Whatever that is, Lord, give us imagination, give us hope, but let us be the difference in someone's life. However big or little that might be, lead us, God, and we'll follow. We'll claim your promise. We thank you, O God, that you're making all things new. For the love of Christ Jesus changes everything. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.